14th chapter of St. John, beginning with verse 21 and read down through 23. Then I'd like to read the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, verses 8 through 11. And I might say this before I start. If you were at the last night of the National Conference, I preached on this message. And so if you were there, well, you will hear me repeat a lot of the same things that I said there, but I felt or feel very constrained about this message. The power of the love of God. Now, let's notice what Jesus had to say about it. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us? and not unto the world, is the answer. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him. He will manifest himself to you because you dare to love him. He didn't promise a manifestation of deity any other way other than through his love. And we will make our abode with him He'll just sit down with you, and you can carry him with you. Now, a lot of times, young believers are plagued with this. They, <clears throat> their love is immature, and I don't say that critically, I just say that factually. They just, their love is not firmed up like it ought to be, and they wonder sometimes if the Lord really loves them. Now, for you that may not have had the Holy Spirit for any length of time, he loved you when you were a sinner. He didn't love your sin, but he loved you when you were a sinner. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're anointed in your sleep. You're anointed when you walk. Yeah. You're anointed when you talk. Uh -uh. 
You're anointed on your job. You're anointed at church. You're anointed with your enemy. You're anointed when you're broke. You're anointed when you've got money. Good car, bad car. Good clothes, bad clothes. Depression or otherwise. Remember, he is always with you. But don't predicate your salvation and your faith on an emotional tide. You say, I don't feel him. Well, he's more than emotion. Now, frankly, if you don't think I sound ridiculous by saying this, and I say this very kindly, and I certainly don't say it making any remark about anyone who may have seen this, I don't need to see any angels. I don't need to hear any voices. I don't need any of that to live for God. Just read what he said and believe it. And God has odd ways of testing our love, and he said he would. He'll test your love, and he'll test your faith. He has three answers sometimes. Yes, no, and wait a while. And whether you feel good or whether you feel bad, don't worry about how you feel. You go by what you know, what he said. If he said it, he meant it. He meant what he said and said what he meant. Accept it that way. Don't doubt his word. That's uh, it's hideous. And uh, let me read this scripture. I didn't intend to read this. Turn over here to Colossians. Uh, I want to talk to you about the power of love. Here's uh, sometimes uh, this bothers people. I know that I had uh, some problems with this. It's in Philippians, I'm sorry. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for his sake. Now, you will suffer. That's part of this. And that allies you to the sufferings of Christ. Glorify the Lord that he's counted you worthy to put you to the test, and you physically and mentally and emotionally are subjected to very, very awkward situations God is trusting you to stand true. Hang in there. And forget that business of getting discouraged. Try to wipe that out of your mind. That's a negative way of thinking. 
and you've got to train yourself how to think. Read Philippians 4 and 8. Not now, but read it sometimes. It's the best psychiatric treatment in all the world. Now, 90% of our problem is between our ears anyway. It's in the upper story. So you want to watch that thing. It can get in your way. Now listen to this one here. Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you want to do a little appraisal on the love of God that may be in you, look and see real closely how do I feel about the sinner? If you can't look at a lost person and weep, your love is rather juvenile and it's, it's immature. That's our purpose. That's our commission is to love the sinner. And if your Christianity is so watered down and juvenile and adolescent that you're afraid to go to see them and associate with them and love them, then there may need to be a house cleaning on your part. Now, if you don't have a burden for the lost and you don't believe in soul winning, then I want you to know, I want to tell you what you are right now. You are an unbeliever. And you are a rotten, stinking Pharisee. Because you can walk by a bleeding man and a dying man and a hungry man and a naked man and go to church with the Bible on your arm and never stop to give him any aid. There ain't anything to your salvation. Now, boy, that's just about as straight and hot as I know how to put it. But you need some straight, hot stuff. Anybody that tells me that they've got the Holy Spirit and they have no burden to win the lost, you're lying. You're a reprobate. You've lost him. He went to the sinner. He ate with them. He loved them. And if you want to know what kind of love you've got, you may have an egotistical love. Just interested in the little breadcrumbs and the fishes and the loaves, and you have some kind of a little social frame on which to build your little religious caricature. And it's just kind of a little social club with you. And don't worry, we've got that. 
We've got that among us. Don't you ever doubt that? When you preach law, you get Pharisees. When you preach love, you get Christians. And we've used too much law, and that's leadership's problem. We've got to preach more about the love of God because if we don't, we'll make Pharisees out of people. They'll be critical. They'll be full of judgment. And if you don't do every little uh, cockeyed thing they do, they'll look at you like you're a wall-eyed devil. Who in the world ever made me a judge over the house of God anyway? What people do is none of your business. Keep your mouth shut, learn to pray, and love him. And it doesn't matter what they do, you will love them and you'll be good to them. If you don't, then you are a spiritual delinquent and you've got a bad disease and the worms are eating you up, Herod. Oh, there is absolutely nothing that will conquer you like love. It drove the early Christians to the arenas. It drove them into a place where their blood run like water. Wild hogs and beasts ate corn out of the cavities of their bodies while their nervous system and their sinews flinched and they died. Why? Not because there was a, a rule book by the UPC, but because they loved him. They loved him more than they loved their lives. If we've got to take a rule book and back you up in the corner to get you to be decent and to get you to do the right thing, there's something wrong with your experience. God, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing. Let me say again, there is nothing equaled to the power of love that's activated in my heart and in my life. I've got to have it there, Brother Tenney. I've never gotten out of the zero stage. I don't care how well I could teach a Bible study. I don't care how well I could pray. I don't care how many miracles I could perform through the Holy Spirit or anything else. If I don't have the love of God, I'm nothing, 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 I'm nothing. God help us. Oh, Lord Jesus, this world's in a horrible shape. And more than likely, some of you who are here today, you have children that's unsaved. Oh, God, don't settle for them to go to hell. He never made them for that. Don't honor that. Don't honor that. Don't honor that. He doesn't want you to honor that. You said, how do you work it? 
Read the parable in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke where the man went for bread and he told him the door is shut and it's midnight, children in bed, and I'm not getting up. But the man that went to that door wouldn't quit. Young'uns in bed, door closed, midnight, and the man saying no on the inside. He knocked and after a while he said, go and ask him how much does he want. Now that's the kind of prayer intestinal fortitude that we need. You can keep people from going to hell if you have the ability to love him. That's what we are. I'm to represent Christ's cause. Not my cause, but his cause. Everything is second, but his will in my life must be the predominant it must be that first line of duty and everything else will have to wait. Now, when we were sinners, when we were sinners, let's say it, when we were sinners, he died for us. And he, this is his short biography of that kind of love. He said, greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. That biography is in one scripture. It's so short, but it's so powerful. Well, we've got to think about this. With me, this is all a revelation. It's a revelation as far as I'm concerned. It will change your thinking. It will change your attitude about people. I don't care what they do. Oh, God, we've all been a devil. We've all were sinners. Don't worry about what they have done. I was in a district not... Uh, too long ago, and one individual said they would not baptize a long-haired hippie. It's a shame we didn't see his soul before we saw his hair. That's a pharisaical attitude. Some of the finest young men that's in our church had long hair. And when I brought them up out of the baptistry and they went and looked in the mirror in the dressing room, they said, you know, Brother Dees, I need to cut all this hair off. I had never and dared anybody else to mention hair. Keep your mouth shut about your Pentecostalism. Just love the sinner. You say, well, he's stinking and dirty. Sure, he's stinking and dirty, just like you and me were. We might not have had long hair, but we had a lot of other things just as long. You know what I told that fella? Send him to Houston, buddy. I'll baptize every one I can hurt of. You see, the love of God pays no attention to our sins. If it did, Sin would be controlling his love, and that's not the way it is. If you being nice to me controls my being nice to you, you are controlling me, and you're not about to do that. 
I'm not going to permit you to do that. I'm going to be nice by the grace of God if I have to pray all night for a week. Because it's my job to be sweet and kind and loving and forgiving and then I'm to have mercy on you whatever you do. Because what you're doing to me is not my problem anyway. It's how I'm acting about what you're doing. Every one of us carry our own garbage can. All the garbage that'll ever do me any good is in my bucket. I've got to learn to keep that thing clean. Keep your spirit clean. I've seen some people that if their spirit could be smelled like things could be smelled, you'd need three gas masks and about four oxygen tanks. Because you can cut it with a knife. We've got to perfect holiness in spirit as well as in dress. I don't care how long your dress is, if you hate people, well, you might do better if you'd put on a miniskirt because you'd find out you had the devil in you. You can cover up everything you can cover up, but that don't mean you're a Christian. And I believe in people dressing godly. But if we ever do anything that we do in order to criticize other people who don't do the same thing, our entire Structural motive is an error. That's not why I'm to do anything is to condemn you for not doing it in case you don't do it. If I do, my entire concept is out of balance. Love will put it in balance. Now notice what it says here. Much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, past tense, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now, reconciliation has this uh, perimeter of meaning. Two people are at Enmity. The third person comes along and acts as a catalyst. This reconciler gets the two people together that are at enmity, one toward the other. Jesus was that divine and extended catalyst that brought man to God and brought God to man. He reconciled us to God. The enmity that had been created by the chasm of sin and those ugly things, he came and was that bridge. And all he had against me, he put it on Jesus. So when I confess all my sins to Jesus, everything's fine. Records clean. 
Books are in balance. Fellowship is restored. I'm in the holies of holies with my high priest. Does that mean anything to you? I'm in the holies of holies with my high priest. Because when he came and that uh, propitiation uh, was given and accepted, the veil that divided the holy place from the holies of holies ripped right down the middle. That made the holy place and the, and the most holy place one place. And Christ was that blood on that mercy seat. He bought me a right to pray. He gave me a position in which to repent. Love did that. Love is redemptive. It's got to be by a person, and it's got to be by blood, and it's got to be by sacrifice. He furnished all three. You're in the holies of holies with your high priest. Only it's in the Melchizedek order, not the Arionic order. He ever lives right now to make intercession for the transgressor. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Right now. Not after a while. Right now. You're under grace. We're not under the law. You know how, you know how strong that sin was? The strength of the law. You know how a man's dead to sin? Dead to the law. We've got a new husband. We buried the old man. Quit trying to dig up Moses and his setup. You've got a new husband. Read Romans 7. Our new husband is Christ. And we've been divorced from the law. But we couldn't be divorced from the law until the first husband died. And when he died, we had a right to get us a new sweetheart. And that's Jesus. Now that's pure grace. That's 100% grace. And some of you may not know what to do with it. Cram your little chunk of that in your pocket. And the next time the devil gets after you, you said, Look, I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have no right to tell me anything. Love did that. Love did that. Love did that. <laughs> well, let me start here now. Well, I'll read that other one. I'll just quote it. Songs of Solomon 8 and 6. Love is as strong as death. And I've got something on Solomon. It's stronger than death because it conquered death. Jesus is God. God is love. Revelations 1 and 18 said he was alive. He died. And he's alive forevermore. There's four things the sonship accomplished. It destroyed death, it destroyed the devil, he became a merciful high priest, 
and it provided reconciliation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2, 14, 16. You say people still dying. Yes, this is true, but it's still conquered. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom even to God the Father. That's future perfect tense. That means this, that which has been accomplished but it is not time for its revelation. So don't worry about the devil's already been licked. He's a whip puppy. He's on a leash. Don't worry about him. Just talk to Jesus. That's your lover. That's your savior. That's your reconciler. That's your reconciliation. That's your propitiation. That's your redemption. That's the scapegoat. That's the eternal sacrifice. Now, there are three words in the New Testament that comes from the original language in which it was written, where we get the English word love. But there's only two of these in the New Testament. But there are three Greek words primarily from where we get the word love. You got the first one, E-R-O-S, and that's pronounced with an H sound, heros. It means love where sex is involved. That word, heros, is not in the New Testament manuscript anywhere. Then you have the word philia, which has to do with the love between a husband and a wife. That word philia, or various forms of it, is mentioned 45 times in the New Testament. Then you've got the strongest Greek word for love, and that's agape, A-G-A-P-E. That one is mentioned 320 times in the New Testament. And here is the way that it's mentioned when it's mentioned. God so loved the world that he gave. It's the kind of love that loves until it killed it, the lover. It's the kind of love that you can't exhaust. It is a power and it is a force that there is no principality. It's equal in this world. We don't know enough about the love of God. It's a love that's unsearchable. It's a love that is without measure. It's a love that I can't appraise. It's a love that I don't understand. It has the ability to love when I didn't love. It's an independent principle. It is able to stand upon its own merits. It needs no propping or refereeing or any kind of a mental or a physical or an emotional support for me to make it what it is. It is 
what it is because it's from where it is. It's a love that you can't exhaust. It's a love that you can't destroy. It's a love that has no parallel. It's the greatest force in all the world. God so loved the world. He gave. And if we love the Lord, we will give. We will not only give what we have, we'll give ourselves. Now, giving what you have is not constant. It's sporadic. Uh, it uh, happens and it quits and happens again. It's a lot of, it's involved with recess. But when you give yourself, that's constant. That's daily. God not only wants us to honor him in substance, but he wants us to honor him in giving him our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. He deserves all four operative dimensions in my life. I cannot reserve any one of those four dimensions and retain the type of uh, reflection to him that I need to reflect. It will take all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind to give him the freedom and the access that he needs to me as a fallen creature, and I need these four areas committed. You say, well, how do we discover this? Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is a product of love. In other words, Believe, we're to believe what he said. And faith is nothing more in a very practical sense. Uh, I mean, it can be described in a, lot of, uh, in a lot of terms. But one of the most simple terms that I can think of about love is this. I mean, faith is this. Read what God has said about it and then live accordingly. Whether well, you feel anything, you see anything, you understand anything, you just do it because he said do it. Somebody said, well, is that blind faith? Call it what you want to. If you've got real faith, you'll do that. Now, faith is not emotion. Though sometimes some of the children of God get in an emotional service and uh, they get real emotional and they think they're believing God and oftentimes they do but then if everything is not eliminated when the emotion the emotional crest subsides the devil will tell them you didn't get anything well did uh, do we not know the biography of the devil he's a liar from the beginning ignore him don't let the devil talk to you like that don't buy his merchandise. 
Tell him, shut up and get out of here. That's why you had to talk to the devil. You don't push the foot around, it comes to the devil. You resist him. And if he, and if you, you see, as strong as the devil is, let me tell you something, with the Holy Spirit, you can resist him. You have the power to resist him. Jesus gave you the key, that name, that name, that name. All evil spirits are subject to that name. You can take that name and drive the devil to Hades, close the door, and spit in his face and say, sit down. And he can't do a thing. You can resist the devil. God designed you with the ability to believe there's no other dimension of life in the universe that's built with, uh, uh, with the uh, complex mechanism as the human being. You can believe God. God designed you with a built-in ability to believe what he said. There's no other source of life in the world that you can preach the gospel to and it have uh, an effect upon. Uh, an animal can't have faith. A fish can't have faith. A bird can't have faith. A horse can't have faith. But man, God's image wearer, can and does have faith. And you are the only thing that God allowed the privilege to be able to believe him, and that's because you're the image creature. Made in his image, after his likeness. Emotion, reason, and will, body, soul, and spirit. You're a triad, but you ain't three. When I look at you, I see body, soul, and spirit. When you look to Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, when you see me, you're looking at the big daddy. I'm he. And if you don't believe I'm he, you're going to die in your sins. He said, before Abraham was, I am. They said, well, how is it? You're not 50 years old. Oh, chronologically, that may be true. But theologically, he ain't never been dead. He was here when we all got here. Before one Adam touched another one and kissed each other and said, where did you come from? And what is your name? And what assembly line did you come on? Before a spark of energy, of any force, or any, uh, or any principle, or any authority ever was created, he was there. Nothing but his own clothes made noise. Nothing but his own presence filled the space. And he said, look, Thomas, when you're looking at me, buddy, this is it. And that little one believing Jew he conjured up a little saying. He says, my Lord and my God. That's who he is. 
But since the Catholic Church gave the Trinitarian theory to the world in 325 A.D. at the Nicene Council, people have been religiously confused about who God is. And if you don't know who your Heavenly Father is, you're a bastard. People that don't know who their father is got the wrong conception. Happened at the wrong time. Boy, that's, that's like eagle eye. That leads your eyes out. Whew. I better go easy there. It's the truth. It's the truth. You said it. It's the truth. <laughs> I did, Brother Weeks. I'm guilty. <laughs> Dear Lord, I said it. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, if you could go to some parts of the world and see those little old naked, lonesome, depraved human beings sitting in front of a shrine, sewing orchids together, going with a few copper coins, in their depravity, in their bare existence, looking at a hideous beast, bowing as, as reverently and sometimes more reverently than we do before the Almighty God, it will absolutely tear you apart. No prayers ever answered. No bodies ever healed. No blinded uh, eyes ever opened. No deaf ears ever unstopped. No feeling. Uh, no preservation. Uh, no answered prayer. Nothing. It's just there. It's there. It's there. And oh God, Pentecostal people, the world is dying and going to hell. And we have the answer. If we've got the answer, that's the greatest indictment that any nation has ever had. And we'll go to hell a thousand times if we don't share it. We must get this message across. It's not Pentecost. It's Christianity. Don't allocate it to a sectarian image. It's Christianity. We must believe what the Lord has said. Our love will never have its proper place in our lives. We can never know the love of God apart from God, although it is all around us and we're confronted with it every day. The air is indicative of his love. The sunshine is indicative of his love. The fact that you're the kind of a life that you are indicates an extension of deity. And you often hear me say that, and I keep repeating it, and I'm not unconscious in my repetition. You cannot mistreat anybody without touching God. I think it was one great literary giant said, when you touch the human body, you have touched God. Oh, the miracles of this body. 
It is said by great minds. I'm not smart enough to appraise it. I'll just only shuttle it on to you that if we could build a computer that did the work of the human brain, you couldn't build a building big enough to put it in. And yet it all happens in about six square inches. The miracle of the human mind. God wants us to take that intelligence and probe the word. Search after him. Will you love him with all your mind? You are constantly and diligently striving to know, to understand, to comprehend, to be aware, to be cognizant of him and his will. We've got to be sensitive to the spirit. The love of God is everywhere you look. If the most of us recognize what really happened to us when we breathed a breath of air, it is a mystery. You are a, you are a walking miracle. The fact that I can move my hand is a miracle. The fact that I can move this one is a miracle. The fact that I can see is a miracle. The fact that I can walk, Sister Dorothy, is a miracle. The fact that I can talk, it's a miracle. The fact that a language was developed by God and that, that God made and we can, uh, by language, communicate to an invisible force that can control your emotions, that can control your will, and that can control the physical man. The fact that you are here, the fact that you can breathe, the fact that you can drink water, the fact that you can taste, the fact that you can imagine, you are a miracle. You are a multiplied miracle. This tabernacle is a miracle. It came out of a man's head. This mic came out of a man's mind. This pulpit came out of a man's mind. The jet plane came out of a man's mind. That's not the work of a computer. That's the work of a God. But not a redeemer, but a God. Everything you see in this world, man, through the intelligence that was deposited with him, made everything you see. The pew on which you sit was devised. That was one time on a drawing board. When I first started pl flying planes way back in 1953, I thought that a plane, poor old ignorant me, that you couldn't fly one without propellers. And you know, the first fellow that ever tried to fly one, that was not the right boys, but the first fellow that ever tried to fly one put feathers on it. That's not what makes the bird fly. Don't you see how ignorant we are? We associate something we know with something we want to give birth to because of a certain a relationship. He thought if you put feathers on it, see his thing about a bird flying, God love him. I'm not making fun of him. He's just ignorant. He knew it. He found it out later. That's like all of us. We're so silly sometimes. We think if God did this here, and he did this here, and he did this here, tomorrow he'll do the same thing. Now you watch us. In a real good service, when you have a great big time and everybody feels like just blowing up.
and we sing a certain song, we'll go back the next night and we'll sing that same song. And we flatten out. Now that's all of us. Everybody's related right there. <laughs> See, that's because we associate the past with trying to predict the future. It don't work like that. We can get so religious until a supernatural phenomena can come in among us and we'll classify it as of the devil. See, a lot of you don't believe that because the Jews were the only people at that time that had the written word of God and every prophecy that related to the Messiah and his debut in this world, they had it. But when he came, they missed it. And you know who, what they said he was? They said he was a drunkard and a glutton and his forerunner or his announcer was a devil. Now you say that can't happen to us. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. You say we believe in one God. What do you think they believed in? They had the truth at one time. But when their God appeared and made his debut because he didn't fit in their little religious clique. He was a drunkard and a glutton. Just because everybody don't wag their tail like you think they ought to wag it, that doesn't mean he's a devil. You may be the devil, more likely are, because God doesn't play his program according to your theatrical protocol and your stage training. You can get up here and hoop and holler, carry on, and would be no God in it. And just because he didn't come sit in your backyard. He's got more sides than there are universes. <clears throat> and what we've got to learn is to step to his tempo. And I'm going to tell you, that's not always easy. When the people first received the Holy Spirit <clears throat> at the turn of the century, when baptism in Jesus' name began to be talked, and in this state, <coughs> Brother uh, Foss and some of the rest of those brethren baptized quite a number of people. The people who had the Holy Spirit at that time, who believed in three gods, said that Jesus named baptisms of the devil. You see, you say, well, that was them. Well, what's wrong with us missing it? Oh, say, we would never do that. Don't kid yourself. Don't put any money up on that. We've got to love God to the point that we're committed to his grace and his understanding. 
the Jews miss their Messiah, we can miss ours. Paul warned us, Romans 11. He said, don't boast, you Gentiles, because the root is burying you. You were wild. What did he mean? He meant we were heathens. We were grafted into this Shemitic lineage, this Abrahamic posterity. We were without God. We were without hope. We had no altar. We had no blood. We had no sacrifice. We had no priesthood. We had no tabernacle. We had no oracles. We had no decalogue. We had nothing. Who were we? We were a bunch of idolaters turned loose in the world. So let me show you something about the strength of love. I forgot what time I started. Let's all stand. Glory. <laughs> A paraphrase, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is greater than the tongues of men and angels. Love is greater than all prophecy. Love is greater than all mysteries. Love is greater than all knowledge. Love is greater than all faith, even to the moving of mountains. Love is greater than all philanthropy, the ability to share or to give to the needy or the poor. Love is greater than all sacrifice. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We can prophesy, we can speak in tongues, we can understand mysteries, we can have knowledge, we can have faith, we can have philanthropy, we can have sacrifice. But if we don't have the love of God, we are nothing. Now, if you can shout in a church and you can't behave in that same church, then you ought not to shout until you can learn how to behave. The same Holy Spirit that'll make me get up and do a little jigging in that aisle will also make me treat you royally, regally, kindly, and I'll be obedient. You can get anointed to behave just like you can talk in tongues. Now, there are some people that just a natural born, it seems, horn-toed. They just came here with a lot of burrs in their fur. They seem to get here on the wrong side of the moon. Maybe they can't help it. Maybe the genetics played a little unfair trick on them. Well, I can tell you, he can take care of the burrs that's in your fur and the horns that's on you. He can tame you if you will love him to the capacity and to the point of his recommendation. He can teach you to act like a real civilized human being. 
Corinthian bunch. They got drunk. They talked in tongues. They lived with their stepmother. They broke the law. They carried cases to court in law. Name it. If you, brethren, will teach First and Second Corinthians to your church, you will hit every sin in the human catalog. But they didn't have what he's talking about here. They could shout, talk in tongues, interpret tongues, perform miracles, do this, do that, but they could not get along. Now listen to this. We've got to learn how to get along. Now, Brother Weeks, he's not here. Don't y'all tell him. There's cliques among us. There's schisms among us. And it's because of insubordination. You'll find it a lot of times in a local church. This bunch sits on this side. This bunch sits on this side. Those are Pharisees. People that act like that are Pharisees. Now listen to what he said. I want to show you it with the church with four clicks in it. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual. I get that. He said, I could not talk to you as unto spiritual. The word spiritual there comes from the original word meaning the regenerated are born again Christian. But as unto carnal, that is the born again person lapsing back into the leadership of the flesh. He says, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Carnal, but in Christ. Somebody said, I'm going to throw everybody out. Well, I'm glad that Paul didn't feel like that. Now, I've got a lot of people well, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but I've got some in Houston. They're not going to do what they ought to do. And I'm not going to fuss with them either. You say, what do you do with them? You just love them, preach to them. They're carnal, but they're in Christ. You don't throw people out because they don't do every little thing you want them to do. Maybe some of them's not capable of doing some of the things I think they ought to do. Maybe I'm the guy that's messed up about some of it. Maybe I'm the fellow that's off. So if, if that is the truth, if I am the one that's off, then I need to be more careful than, uh, uh, than anybody because I need more mercy than anybody. So you've got to be kind to them. And they'll say things they ought not to say, and they'll do things they ought not to do. 
And sometimes young people, I just love young people. Uh, they are so sweet, but they can be the biggest mess you've ever seen. But we've all been young, don't forget that. I don't know how they felt when they were 17. And I, you know, and, and once in a while I tapped one of the children, I said, say, what about so-and-so? Look at me. I said, how did you know? I said, don't worry, I just, what about this? Now, we better do a little talking. So we get to one side and I said, now look, you want me to tell daddy and mother or you want me and God and you to fix it? <laughs> he said, oh my Lord, don't tell my daddy, he'll beat me nearly to death. <laughs> and we don't tell him. I ain't fixing to tell him. And I said, are you real sorry that you did it? Oh, Lord, yes, Brother Dees, I'll do anything in the world you tell me to do. <laughs> well, what else can he do? What else can he do? Don't worry about it. Trust him. I've got some right now at home that owes me money because they get in a little financial bind and they, you know, they overspend just like a lot of us who are 55 sometimes, we do the same thing, then we want to fall out with a teenager because he does it. And they'll come to me and say, can you let me have $25? Can you let me have $50? Can you let me have $100? And I've nearly always got some head, you know. And I float them a little loan and said, now how can you pay this back? We'll have to fix our little note here. And I said, they said, now don't tell my daddy, don't tell my mother. I said, Lord God, there's no telling what to do. I said, don't worry, it's classified, strictly classified. It's military classified. Just hold it, hold it, hold it. And one lady asked me one time, said, did my daughter borrow any money from me? I said, honey, that's none of your business. She did, but I wasn't about to tell her. I don't know why some mothers want to be so nosy about some things sometime anyhow. And dads are the same way. Okay. <laughs> All right, see. You, you, here it is. You have got to let the young people know and people know that you trust them. Love is the greatest input in the world. Show me a home that is in confusion and in frustration and I'll show you a child that makes bad grades. Show me a home that's got good harmony and, and they live for God and they pray. Love is the greatest input to learning there is in all the world. Love your church and they will kill themselves for you. And that's what shepherds are supposed to do. Love them, out-love them, out-pray them, out-fast them, out-win them with souls. If you are the daddy, then be the daddy. Right. But don't forget you've got to be an example, big boy, in everything. Right. That's just like a man that marries a lady and he wants her to work and help make him a living. That's not her place, you lazy thing. Get up off of your sitting down place and learn you something else to make you a better living. You had no business a mariner. 
If you married her for a meal ticket, if I'd be her, I'd have found out before, and I'd have said, adios! See you later, alligator. No, Lord Jesus, it's one I don't get shot. But it's the truth, and that's why you know it's the truth. And some of these late models, they want their wife to work and kill herself. And when you get home from the job, she's been on the same eight-hour shift. You want to sit down, her to make the beds, bring your water, run your bath water, hunt your drawers, find your shirt and your pants. Get up. I wonder what kind of a mother raised you. She didn't marry you to give you a sugar tip every time she turned around. Get up and fix your own bath water. Find your own clothes. Don't expect her to wait on you. And it won't hurt you to wash dishes. If she's helping you make the living, then help her clean the house. Somebody says, oh, I'm afraid if I help her wash dishes, I might get this away. That does not what does it. Takes something stronger than dishwater to make people act like that. How did I get on that? Oh, God help us. Yeah. The reason there are frustrations in homes today is because that men don't have the ability to love that wife like this Bible said. He wants the honor without the romance. And that same thing applies to a church. A family unit and a church has run exactly the same thing. If you're going to be the pastor, don't remind them of that orally. Get out there and do your job. When it comes time to feed them, boys, have you a real meal cooked up. Fix it Epicurean style. Make it exotic. Put her in there. Load her down with vitamins. Let them go out of there with their pockets of bulging. Said, my Lord and my God, I love that preaching. If preaching is your business, then learn something about the Bible and the art of it. Saints are hungry today. They want to be fed. They want to be loved. They want to be told. They want to be guided. They want leadership, 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 leadership. Some today have none to love them. They have no pastor. They have nobody to pray for them when they get sick. They have no one to call for when they bury their dead. They're wandering sheep on a barren desert. 
And oh God, if there ever was a time that leadership ought to exercise leadership and manifest the love of God and be out front and do the will of God and have revival. If you're not having revival at your church, go home, look in the mirror. You are the primary cause. Lord God, build you a fire. Fast until you get so weak it'll take a ten-foot pole to touch your eye until you touch God. And when you touch God, you can touch men. Don't tell me you can't have revival. I know you can have revival. We have revival. We're having revival. There is a revival going on in this world. I can prove it for Brother Tinney. They're getting the Holy Spirit by the thousands, by the thousands, by the thousands around this world. And some of our Pharisees have never heard the sound, and they don't even know anything about it. And they're saying, well, we'll just hold on to the 75. Praise God, maybe we'll make it to the end. They make it sound so sad. Nobody wants that sad sack religion. This is a regal religion. This is a way of life. It's full of glory. It's full of power. It's full of healing. It's full of grace and love. Oh, God, help us. We've got the most regal experience. We've got the greatest divine reflection in all the world. We're some of the most fortunate people that God ever lived. Angels begged to know about this. Archangels entreated the Lord. Prophets predicted it. But God said she shut up to another generation. And I'm in that generation. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. It never fails. It never fails. It never fails. This Bible said love never faileth. I can fail, but he never does. So you say, well, how do you know that we're carnal? Listen to this. He says, you're yet carnal, for, you're, oh, for there is among you envy, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal as walk as men? Now, some of them got saved when Paul's down. I said, look, I got the Holy Spirit and Paul's down here. And I'm not running with that bunch of apolicites. They said, I got the Holy Ghost when Apollos is here. And everybody knows that the greatest orator that ever lived in Israel is Apollos. And Paul is just a straight, rigid line. Said, my Lord, little old hump-shouldered, squinched-eyed missionary. Said, did you see how he is dressed when he got down here? And the other said, well, Peter came down here and held a revival, and I got the Holy Spirit, and he is here. I didn't have nothing to do with you other two. And then one bunch said, I got the Holy Ghost when there wasn't anybody here. There was no revival going on. I belong to Jesus. I get all my orders from the Lord. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Hallelujah. Everything's coming direct from Jesus. Boy, 
out as something else. Now, if Paul had been as carnal as they were, he'd have split that church. See, there's a lot. See, any old thing can tear up. But we don't have many craftsmen and artists and skilled men. It takes a lifetime to build a good, solid assembly. And you can let one of these little old things come in there that doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. They're so super spiritual until nobody never had a revival until they got there. You'd think the church began and ended with them. Oh, that's so ignorant. Lord, Lord, God had a better church before he ever got me. I never added nothing to it. I added liability. Who am I? Nobody. I was born about 75 miles from here in a log house. And when you looked through the front door, you could look through the back door. There wasn't a window pane in it. And I'm not Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Brother Mangan said I had something in common with him. <laughs> Oh, help us. Aren't we having a time? Now, when people start envying and striving and being divisive and schismatic, don't you know that's the devil working through us? How can we be so dumb? Don't you know if I get off over here, and I plot against just Brother Creel, longtime friend of mine. What's the purpose? What's the purpose in me getting out here? Let's say that I knew something on him. I don't. I never did. I never did try to find out anything. I'm not looking for boogers. I'm not an FBI. I'm not a sheriff. I'm going to trust you face value until you prove to me I can't. And then if I find out I can't, I'm still going to be kind because I've got to remain a Christian if I find out you're a devil. But I don't have one scripture to stand on to mistreat you. Now, look at the psychology that Jesus uh, manifested uh, in the fourth chapter of St. John. He walked to Jacob's well. Fortunately, I've had a drink of water right out of that same well twice. That well's still there. It's about 90, 95 feet deep. It's in Shechem. So he goes there and he sits down. And that's in the land of the Samaritans. A lady comes along. And he said, give me to drink. 
Now, you see, you American girls don't know how fortunate you are because the ladies carry all the water in Palestine. And Iran. And Iraq. And, uh, you know. And here's the first thing she says. How is it that you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're asking me to give you a drink? You talk about racial prejudice. We've never had a race problem like they had there. Now, you may not know this, and then again you may. We have Orthodox Jews in Houston. If they were to invite me to see them, they'll feed me out of different kind of dishes than, I, than they eat in. I'm unclean. I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile. They weren't even allowed to go in each other's home. You weren't allowed to touch anything they touched. And when Jesus asked that Samaritan woman for a drink of water, she bro he broke every orthodox custom that there ever was. And he said, if you knew who this was, You'd ask me, and I, the pronoun I, I would give you water, never thirst again. And she said, I'd like to have some of it. And strangely as it may appear, he said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have one. He said, you've spoken rightly. You've had five, and that one now ain't yours. She said, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. I would have to, wouldn't you? Now, if that had been some of us in this day and time, here comes this old witch. And knowing this old harlot, years and years and years. See her here every time you come here. You old heifer. What are you doing here drawing water? Not one time did he ever bemean her. He didn't throw up anything to her. She said, I have heard that Messiah will come. He said to her in all the solemnity of divinity, he said, I that speak to thee am he. She dropped her water pot. She set it down in the sand. If you ever see him, you'll drop yours. If you ever do. If you ever see him like he really is, you'll drop it. I don't care what it is. It may not be a water pot. Maybe the equivalent. You'll drop it. Yeah. Oh, God, there's something about when he speaks to you. Yeah. When he speaks to you, it unlocks 
It breaks. It shatters. She ran to the city. Many of the Samaritans. She went from a prostitute and a harlot to a soul winner. That's the love of God. Don't throw things up to people who come from a sordid background. They need love. They need security. They need to know you're willing to trust them. You want to pray with them. I tell those little hippie boys and girls, I said, do you know that we love you? And I ask them that over and over and over. They've never been loved. They've never been wanted. There was always a social reject. They said, we believe you do. I said, we do because I said, the Lord loves you and we love you. I said, we've never been loved like this in all of our life. People today need to be loved. We need to love the sinner. If that love is in me like it ought to be, I will love that man that doesn't love God. I'm going to have to quit. The time is up, but oh, Lord, this is an endless thing. Love never fails. Listen to what Amplified said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest, and earnestly desire and cultivate this spiritual endowment. We may talk about it tomorrow. I don't know. Oh, love of God. Let's stand. How rich and pure. How measureless and strong. It shall for The saints and angels song. The writer of that song said, If every man on earth was a scribe by trade, and every stalk was a quill, and the oceans were ink, and the parchment was like as stretched from sky to sky. He said to write the love of God would drain the oceans dry, though stretched from sky to sky. He's going to take his love or conquer you, or he's going to take his love and let you alone. I think it was Augustine who said, he does not compel men to be good. He only leaves those alone who deserve to be forgotten. Oh, love of 
it's here today. If you get there, love will do it. 